not many people have seen a stonefish. Even most of those who live in the tropics where they are found have not seen a stonefish. Not because they are particularly rare, but because they are rarely seen. Even from a few inches away, it's hard to see a stonefish because it's a master of disguise, blending in with its background with a skill that makes a chameleon look like an amateur in the art of camouflage. Hence the name, stonefish. There are some professing Christians who are like stonefishers, blending in so well with their background that they're virtually indistinguishable from their fellow human beings. You wouldn't recognize them close up, and neither would anyone else. But that's not the way it should be. A camouflage Christian is a contradiction in terms. And in his letter written to the Christians in the Greek city of Philippi, a preacher named Paul who founded their church reminds them that they are to be distinctive as they shine like stars in the universe. And this is the challenge I want to lay before us and before myself as a church as we begin a new year. And this morning, I want to look at this challenge in its context by unpacking and then applying it to Charlotte Chapel. For as we will see, these words are primarily addressed to a church, a local church, rather than just, as we so often read the Bible, to us as individuals. So let's look at our topic, Shining Like Stars, and let's first of all read the verse in its context. Philippians 2, verses 12 to 18, you'll find it on page 11790. It will help to have a Bible in front of you. If you don't have one, just get it and grab one. There are Bibles around in the pews in different places. There's some around here. Just, just pass one to the people who haven't got them, with you? Thank you very much. Page 1179. Verse 12, chapter 2. 1179. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Paul was writing this from prison, Rome probably, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word. Let's just pray for a moment and ask God to help us to understand it and apply it. Lord, we thank you for these words that you've preserved over the centuries, written from a prison cell to a small group of people living in a Greek city 
in Philippi. Lord, we thank you for your living word that addresses us today in a very different city in Edinburgh in the year 2005. Help us first of all to understand what you are saying to us and then to apply it to ourselves as a church and also as individuals. Help us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now keep the Bible open in front of you. Let me simply highlight three words and three phrases which I think will help us to understand what is being said here and the context of our verse for the year. First word is conduct and the phrase is work out. And you'll see that in verses 12 to 14. I'm not sure whether children still say the rhyme twinkle, twinkle, little star how I wonder what you are. Maybe the scientists have answered all the questions and they don't sing those kind of things anymore but I remember saying it when I was a child. But as far as the Christian star is concerned, what we are is seen in what we do. What we are is seen in what we do. Brackets, not just in what we say. One of my New Year resolutions is to get back to the gym over the road. I've wasted four or five months subscription since I damaged my arm badly, but now it's all been fixed up and I've been to the physiotherapist. I've got some more strength back in it. It's strong enough. And I was looking in the mirror the other day and one, this arm is a lot thinner than the other arm. It looks kind of weird. And I need to get into the gym and work out. As soon as I say this, for the next three months, everybody at the door will ask me, have you been to the gym? Which is probably a good reason to say it. If I am a Christian, God has restored my broken relationship with Him. Put that back together through the death of His Son Jesus and His resurrection from the dead, by which I'm justified. That means put right, straight. But He's not only done that. If I am a Christian, God has put His Holy Spirit within me. And now that God works in me, I need to cooperate with the work of His Spirit by working out all that that means in all that I do. That's how Paul begins this section. Look again. Notice the two phrases. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, notice, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you to what? To act according to His good purpose. In the Bible speaks today, commentary on Philippians, Alec Matea writes, the new nature is ours by gift of God, but the activation of that new nature in terms of character and conduct is through the responsive work of obedience the hard graft of the daily warfare. So because God is working in me, I must work out and how I work out is how I live, what I do. So notice when Paul has said this, he then says in the very next phrase, do everything. Literally, all you do. 
Now, what follows is surprising. And the more I thought about it and read it, and I've read it, must have read it over the years, probably several hundred times, the more you think about it, there is a surprise here. What would you expect him to say if you didn't know what followed? Do everything. You'd think he might give a list of all the do's we should do and maybe the do-nots that we should not. What sort of things do we do? Let's put it in another way. What sort of things do we do, we do that makes a Christian star shine brightly? So that people say, wow, that's different from the dark background. I doubt whether any of us would have said, do everything without complaining or arguing. But that's because we don't take complaining and arguing seriously. After all, everyone knows it's a squeaky wheel that gets the grease, right? And everyone knows that you've got a right to your own opinion and to speak it, right? Everyone. Yes, everyone except the sons of God, the children of God, who are to be different, distinctive, shining like stars. Nothing is more certain to dim the brightness of the Christian stars in a local church than arguing and complaining. And when that becomes endemic, habitual, the word literally in Greek is plural, complainings and arguings, then what do you end up with? Stonefishes instead of stars. No different from anyone else. Look at the two words he uses here. The Greek word complain is one of those onomatopoeic words. That means, you know, it's a word that sounds like it is. The Greek word is gongudzo. Can you hear it? Gongudzo. Plurally, gongudzo. Mumble, grumble, grumble. It means selfish complaining, unbalanced criticism of small matters, impatience towards what is not understood, grudging unwillingness to be helpful. And while complaining is the outward expression with your mouth, Arguing is more of the inward attitude of your heart and mind. It means disagreeing with whatever others do, prompted by a conviction that you always know what is best. Many years ago, it's almost, in fact, over 30 years now, when I worked with Wycliffe Bible Translators, we had to move our headquarters from deepest Surrey to leafy Buckinghamshire, which is quite a journey. We had a school there with about 250 students and we housed them, fed them and they slept there for training courses and so on. And as everything was done on a shoestring, we shifted all the furniture ourselves rather than hiring a removals firm. And so what we did in our wisdom, we had a great big, huge big van. Different people drove it every day, but one person supervised loading literally hundreds of beds, wardrobes, dressing tables, anything that you could remove from the walls or the floor into this van every day. I was that person. And within a few days, I could work out pretty... I can still picture the van, actually. I could work out which bits would go on the top at the front and how many wardrobes you could actually cram in to utilise the space fully. No problem except that every day I was assigned different Wycliffe members, missionaries, to help me with the task. Now, if you've ever met anyone from Wycliffe, they're all very bright people and very independent people. And they're very good at linguistics, but most of them know nothing about furniture removing. 
but they didn't know it. And every day I had an argument with every Wycliffe member who thought there was a better way of getting 25 wardrobes, 16 dressing tables, and goodness knows what else in there. It just drove me insane. And I sometimes feel like that as a pastor. When we grumble and argue and complain, but I'll tell you something that makes me even more depressed, when I stop and find myself doing exactly the same thing so easily. Now there is nothing new under the sun. The words that are used here, and we'll see it in a moment in our second point, the words that are used here have echoes from the past. And they have echoes from the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, and the echoes lie in what happened to the people of Israel when they wandered from Egypt to Canaan. You remember they were slaves? And God did these fantastic miracles and plagues that got them out of Egypt, heading towards the promised land. And they crossed the Red Sea and God parted the waters. It's an incredible miracle. Six weeks later, they were grumbling and arguing and complaining. In Exodus 16, we read the whole community grumbled. Who did they grumble about? Moses and Aaron, their leaders. Because they didn't have enough food. And Moses promises them that the Lord will provide, but notice what he warns them. Exodus 16, verse 8. You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Now, grumbling is a serious problem. Why? Because your real problem doesn't lie with your boss or your wife or your pastor or anyone else. Your real problem lies with God. And that's a serious matter. That's why, presumably, he says, continue to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. For God is at work within you. We quench the work of His Spirit when we grumble and complain. So, if it is such a serious problem, let's take it seriously. It only took the people of Israel six weeks after leaving Egypt to start complaining. I've known in church life it only takes six minutes after leaving the church benediction to start complaining for some people. So let's, can I make a suggestion as we start 2005? Some resolution, alright? Let's be more accountable to one another. I was suggesting to the pastoral team this week, and can I say to Richard, as I've said to all the pastoral team, we as a team seek to model what we expect of you as a congregation. And that's difficult, but we're just as accountable as you are. So I was suggesting to him, let's be accountable to one another. How about any time one of us grumbles or complains about anything, how about if we did this? For those on the tape, why don't we twinkle our fingers? That would be really annoying. So annoying that it might stop people doing it. More importantly, it will help us to shine more brightly like stars in the universe. In, because as we study this book, you'll see it's a book, it's all about joy and rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. Philippians 4 verse 4. You can't grumble and complain and rejoice at the same time. So that's the first word, conduct, work out. 
And having begun with a negative, what we are to avoid, we turn to a positive. What we are, or what we're becoming. Here's the second word, contrast. And here's the phrase, stand out, in the sense of, stand out from the background, be different. The image of shining like stars in the universe is a very striking one, isn't it? And all the more so if you lived in the first century. One of the problems we suffer in the West is because of all the um, electric power and light that emanates from our towns and cities, we suffer from what's called light pollution. You don't really see the stars that clearly. Uh, as you'll know, a few weeks, uh, a couple of months ago, we were in the Philippines in the north, way up in the hills, and the sky looks quite different. I mean, it is different, I suppose, to what you can see, but, but it, it's much more sharp. The, the, the soot black sky and these brilliant stars twinkling in the background. Now, what is the contrast that he's making here between what? What are the stars and what is the sky? If you like, the, the, the background, the, the dark background. Well, the contrast is between, look at what it says, the contrast is between those that he calls the children of God and those who belong to what he calls a crooked and depraved generation. That's the contrast. Look more closely at each of these, just for a moment. First of all, the children of God. In many places in the New Testament, Christians are described as either the sons of God and that's nothing to do with gender, it's to do with privilege and applies to men and women or more generally as here the children of God when you become a Christian in fact when you become a Christian there's all these amazing things that happen but one of them is that you're adopted into God's family through faith in his son Jesus Uh, these Christians in Philippi and we'll look more closely at how their church was founded next week God willing in, in the next in our series but these Christians in Philippi, they heard the good news about Jesus when this man Paul and his party arrived in their city and preached them down by the river. And they received Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and they became children of God. That's what a Christian is. What Christians are. And this is in the New Testament in all sorts of places. For example, in his first letter, in the third chapter, the Apostle John says, See! Authorised version, sorry. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. 1 John 3 verse 1. That is our, their status, our status, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we are, but there is an ongoing process by which we become the children of God. In other words, we become more like God we begin to display more the family likeness. As Christians avoid behaviour like complaining and arguing, then we, they, increasingly become, look what he says, blameless and pure, children of God, without fault. There are three expressions used there. Blameless, pure, without fault. These are the distinctive characteristics of the children of God. A community of God's people in a local church. The first word blameless means irreproachable, living a life at which no finger of criticism may be pointed. It's the word used that God actually used of Job. If you know the Bible, the beginning of the book of Job, it begins with a dialogue between God and the devil. And God says to the devil on these two occasions, Have you seen my servant Job? He's blameless didn't mean he never done anything wrong but it meant his character was irreproachable nothing to hide the second word links in with that the word pure it's a word used of wine that hasn't been diluted or metal that's not been 
mixed with other alloys to weaken its character like pure silver or pure gold and it means sincere transparent without any admixture of evil in this, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ said to his followers you are to be shrewd as snakes innocent, that's the word, as doves and the third phrase is the strongest of all without fault it means without any blemish of any kind and therefore fit to be offered to God it's the word used when the people of Israel were coming out of Egypt and that final plague when God sent the angel of death through the land he said I'm going to send the angel of death and you need to get a lamb and sacrifice it and smear its blood on the doorpost and when the angel of death sees he'll pass over you which is why we call it Passover and the qualification for the lamb was that it had to be without blemish without fault now not surprisingly that same word is used as the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 1 19 the Apostle Peter says Christ redeemed us by his blood a lamb without blemish or defect now these words describe if we are Christians what we are to become we are to bear the family likeness we are to be like the father like the son you see when you adopt someone into your family in human terms that's a very wonderful thing to choose willingly someone to belong to your family on both parties but there's no genetic relationship but when you become a Christian God puts his own nature within you by his spirit and you become like Jesus you become like God holy which is why it's called the Holy Spirit and I just wonder if we've settled for less arguing that we're only human yes we are human but we're not only human we have God's spirit at work within us and if there is no change then you have good reason to ask whether there is no spirit let's say it again if there is no change then there is good reason to question in your own life let alone anyone else whether there is no spirit at work within you and it is this Christ-like character that shines all the more brightly in contrast with the darkness with the society, the world in which we live which is described as a crooked and depraved generation I wonder if we'd hesitate to describe how would you describe our society that we live in? would you describe it as a crooked and depraved generation? now you might say yes and last night they showed that Jerry Springer opera thing and we all wrote into protest which is quite right full of blasphemy and swear words and goodness knows what but that's only the outward ultimate expression of a society that is crooked and depraved you want to see what a crooked and depraved generation is like then don't watch anything like the Jerry Springer opera just watch any soap on our television because any soap on our television reflects the fact that we live in a crooked and depraved generation you may not like to use the words but that's what what does it mean? well the two adjectives describe action and attitude the action is crooked it means crooked means deviating from God's prescribed path the way that we should live what does depraved mean? depraved means to do with our thinking our attitude it means twisted, perverted in our thinking a society, one writer puts it that is morally warped spiritually perverted so you just watch an average soap 
and see what is their attitude, what is the story that's portrayed about money, fame, possessions, sex, life, death. You'll find on almost every issue that it's a reflection of a society that has deviated from God's path because its thinking is wrong. And it's within that environment that local Christians and local churches operate. And witness, notice what it says, in which you shine like stars in the universe. You remember before the Lord Jesus Christ was, went to the cross and then returned to heaven, there's a great record of what he prayed for his disciples in John chapter 17. What he says in one phrase, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Now, what he's saying is, we're not taken out of the world. When you become a Christian, you operate within the world in order to demonstrate what God is like, His character is like, in the way that you relate to one another and you don't complain and argue and you love one another and you're blameless and pure without fault and people begin to see, wow, there's something different about that community of people that I've not found anywhere else in society. Or do they? Should we feel any sense of superiority or complacency we need to be reminded, where did Paul get this phrase from? A crooked and depraved generation. You know where he got it from? They're part of the song of Moses that we sang at the beginning of the service. What did we begin with? We began with Deuteronomy 32. Let me read it again to you and listen carefully. I will proclaim the name of the Lord, O praise the greatness of our God, He is the rock, his works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Now Moses is looking back on his experience of 40 years with the people of Israel, with God's people. And this is what he says next. They, that's the people of Israel, have acted corruptly towards him. To their shame they are no longer his children, but a warped and crooked generation. Now the phrase is lifted straight out of there. In other words, the warped and crooked generation is the people of Israel, God's people. Israel was called to be a light to the nations, to demonstrate distinctively what God is like and what His people are like among the godless nations. But instead, they became like them and ultimately their privileges then were taken and given to Gentile folk like us. So Jesus tells His followers, they are now to fulfill this mission in His Sermon on the Mount. This is the calling of God's new covenant people. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now notice, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see what? That you sing really well? That you've got good preaching? A fine children's program? Yeah, all these things are good. That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven and say, wow, that must be God. And with privileges comes warning and accountability. The example of Israel is a warning to God's people, His new covenant people, not to fail in their mission. Now that doesn't mean that God and His purposes for His church will be frustrated, that His light will be extinguished throughout the world. What it does mean is that where a local church fails to bear witness as it should, then rather than it 
exhibiting the wrong message God will remove the lampstand from its place that was the warning to the seven churches in the Roman province of Asia in the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 notice what it says to the church in Ephesus and notice the challenge yet I hold this against you you have forsaken your first love remember the height from which you have fallen repent and do the things you did at first if you do not repent I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place that's what happened in Ephesus that's why for centuries there's still a little remnant that's now sprung up in Turkey where these churches were but the lampstand was removed one by one from these churches because they failed to bear witness to the light of Christ now look closer to home just look around the city of Edinburgh at the church buildings and they're only buildings but the church witness that no longer shines in our city because they're now being used for other religions or for commercial purposes whatever it may be the light has gone out what happened? Well, they just became like the world, complaining and arguing, indistinguishable. And God said, rather than people getting the wrong message, I prefer they get no message at all and removes it. Ah, you say, it could never happen in Charlotte Chapel. We've been full for a hundred years. It could happen in Charlotte Chapel, believe me. Because God, Christ is the Lord of his church. He can remove the lampstand if he so chooses. If we become like the world around us. And the only antidote is to continue to become what we are standing out from the rest children of God in a crooked and depraved generation shining like stars in the universe so conduct, work out, contrast, stand out finally, thirdly, conviction hold out I suppose if you're a good Buddhist you might manage to live without complaining or arguing but that would not make you a New Testament child of God no, there is something more something positive which the Christian is to do which our verse of the year reminds us we are to shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life the word of life is a description of all that God has said supremely in the person of Jesus' son God's last and best word that word which gives life to those who hear it and receive it the word of life so the word of life is the gospel the good news about Jesus that Paul preached to the Philippians and now wants them to proclaim to other people you see the children of God in Philippi and Edinburgh not only bring light to a dark world they bring life to a dying world the gospel declares the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord Romans 6 verse 23 so our responsibility then as we shine like stars is to hold out that word of life to a dying world it's not just seen in what we are but also in what we offer and what we say oh and that's what we are is there in the first place then what we say will be a contradiction in terms but one must follow from the other we proffer, we offer to others. But we can only do this if we have believed this word for ourselves and are convinced about its truth, that it's God's word. So if you look at the Philippians back in the chapter there, you'll see there's an alternative footnote at the bottom. That's what the little marks are at the bottom if you've never come across the Bible before. There's a little C at the bottom of the page and it can be translated, not just hold out the word of life, but hold on to the word of life. 
And the word is ambiguous and perhaps deliberately so. It's a word that can mean both things. In other words, this word that we have, we're to grasp it firmly, not to lose our courage in the face of things that are happening around about us, but to hold on to this word of life and to hold it out. You can't hold it out if you're not holding on to it and you drop it. Ralph Martin comments helpfully to the commentator. The Philippian Christians are to remain firm in their adherence to the truth of the gospel, to hold it fast as a torchbearer, would grasp securely the light he carries, and to let no opposition daunt their spirits. As they do this, they'll be discharging their vocation as the true children of God who exercise a potent influence in the midst of the dark and ignorant world, which would, if it could, frighten them into fearfulness and muffle their clear witness. Now you may ask, is such a life against all the opposition, against the tide, is it worth it? Why not cave in and become like the rest? Become a stonefish instead of a star, a chameleon instead of a Christian? The answer for Paul and for us is that there is a day of reckoning coming, what he calls the day of Christ. That is the day of judgment when Christ returns. And Paul writes, he says, I want to be able to boast on that day. He doesn't mean brag about his own achievements. But to give thanks to God that his ministry to the Philippian Christians, he was thrown in prison there, you may remember, if you know the story from Acts 16, and their suffering for the gospel has not been in vain. It's a sacrifice and a service offered to God. So our responsibility, if we are Christians, genuine children of God, is to hold out the word of life, to hold on to the word of life in view of the day of Christ. When I was growing up, there's a little phrase that Christians often said. Perhaps significantly we don't say it very often now, so let me remind the younger ones of what it was. Only one life, which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So let me say something in conclusion, then we come to the Lord's table. Let me conclude where we began. Not many people have seen a stonefish. However, if you happened to step on one, you would know about it. And without treatment, you'd be dead within two hours from the toxic spines on its back. And meeting a stonefish Christian will also kill you by default. For a stonefish Christian who fails to work out his faith fails to stand out from the crowd and worst of all fails to hold out the word of life which alone could save you on the day of Christ will kill you. Among the many stories from the great and terrible disaster in the Indian Ocean this week I picked up one this week that struck me about someone from Scotland. You may have read the story. A man called John Croston on holiday with his family in Thailand. He was swimming, now let me read, in Kamala Bay as his wife and 11-year-old daughter relaxed on a beach moments before the gigantic wave struck. Suddenly, in seconds, the water all around him disappeared, leaving boats marooned and fish gulping for breath in the open air. Mr. Croston, who was a member of the Ockhill Mountain Rescue Team for four years, realised what was happening and that the beach was about to be struck by a tsunami what he says, I consider myself relatively reserved. 
But on that beach I left all my inhibitions behind as I ran back towards my wife shouting tsunami, tsunami and telling her to run. People were looking at me wondering what the problem was as their young children ran towards the stranded fish. But my wife knew there was something wrong and as he ran he scampered over the sand to safety. A busload of tourists pulled him in front of them. What do you think he did? Did he say, it's their business, not mine, and just ran for safety? No, he pleaded with them, get back to high ground. And he said, two sounds haunt me now, the roar of the approaching water and the screams of the retreating villagers. What would you think if he'd just kept it to himself, the word of life, and saved himself, or maybe just his own family? Of course he didn't. And neither can we with a word that brings life. It's that serious. So let's determine with God's help that our verse for the year will not just be a slogan, but a reality. That we shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. Let's pray together.